Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. We are working through Genesis, one chapter a week. And today we come to Genesis chapter 4. Again, if you've not read Genesis chapter 4 in the recent past, do go ahead and press pause, read it, and then come back. And uh, we'll work through some key verses together. We'll look at the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, those kinds of details. So if you've not read Genesis chapter 4, do go ahead and read it, and then we'll jump right in together. So last time in Genesis chapter 3, we saw the fall. We saw Adam and Eve deceived we saw that they ate from the uh, from the tree of which they were forbidden. And uh, in verse 15, we saw that proto-evangelium, the first gospel. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we said, the he of he shall bruise your head is the coming redeemer, the rescuer, God's Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And of course, we are talking there about Jesus. So today, Genesis chapter 4, we talk about Cain and Abel. So let's read together a few verses from Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So that's Genesis 4, verses 1 to 7. There's some great things for us to talk about here. Straight away then we see here that Adam knew his wife, and this is highly personal. And she conceived and bore Cain. And Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So we've got to think here, is Eve thinking that this is the promised Messiah, the coming the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Maybe she thinks that. Maybe she thinks that this is, God, was, God said that from us would come one to defeat evil, to beat Satan. From us would come one to, to defeat evil. Maybe she was thinking of, of that, that principle here of Genesis 3.15. But when you really stop and think and look at this chapter, we see that rather than giving birth to a Messiah, sadly, Abel becomes the Bible's first murderer. So quite a contrast there. And we read that Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And this helps us to see that mankind, humans, didn't live in caves for thousands of years, surviving solely as hunter-gatherers. You know, we're one generation into creation, Adam and Eve, they've had children. And we see straight away that Abel is a keeper of sheep and Cain is a worker of the ground. So that they're farmers of sorts. One's keeping sheep, one's working the ground. And they bring offerings to the Lord. And at the end of chapter 3, in verse 24, we read that God drove out the men and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Yet here in chapter 4, we see that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
We know that the cherubim are always associated with the presence of God. We see that in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Revelation 2. And they are at the east of the garden, the east end of the garden of Eden. So it's possible that this is where Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices. So Cain brings to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And we see a, a bit of a difference in their offering. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So Cain just brings some stuff that he has grown. But for Abel, we read, he brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. So fat was considered a luxury. It's something that no doubt he would have really enjoyed. It was a luxurious part of the, of the meat of the animal. And he gives to God the firstborn of his flock and some of the fat. So he's giving God his absolute best. And as we continue to read, we see that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And Cain becomes really angry. So straight away, we see that he's, he's, he's proud, he's prideful, he's got, he's got the sin of pride. And then in verse 6, we see the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? This is a loving confrontation from God. You know what? What's wrong? Why are you angry? And in verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So essentially, if you, if, you, if you give what you are supposed to give, if you live as you are supposed to live, you'll do well. Will you not be accepted? But then the second half of that verse, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And really, Cain has only to look to the example of his parents to see that sin is crouching at the door, to see that sin's desire is to master Cain. He's only to look to the example of his parents to see what happens when we give in to sin and its temptation. One other wonderful thing to take from this first section of Genesis chapter 4 is in verse 4. We see that Abel again brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for this offering. And if we think here, Abel is one man and he brings one lamb. As we continue through God's word into Exodus and we see that the, the festival of Passover begins and it's one lamb is sacrificed for a family. As we continue even further, we see the nation of Israel and one lamb is sacrificed for the sins of the nation. And as we continue into the New Testament, it's a John's gospel. John chapter 1 verse 29 shows us and tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the sins, sacrifice to take away the sins of the whole world. And what a wonderful progression that is from one lamb being sacrificed for the sins of one man through to a lamb for a family, through to a lamb for the nation through to Jesus being the lamb that takes away the sins of the whole world. So then we continue, we read in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And this is the first death, this is the first human death recorded in the Bible, so we can confidently assert that this was the first human death in the world. And in verse 9, we see, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And of course, again, God is omniscient. He knows all that there is to know. So he knows where Abel is. But he wants Cain to answer. And it's the, it's the same principle that we saw in the previous chapter that, yes, of course, God knows. But this is an opportunity for Cain to repent, to be honest. And he replies with that phrase that has kind of become fairly well known, I guess. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So essentially, look, I'm not responsible for him. I'm looking out for nobody else. I'm looking out for me. I know where I am, but I don't know where he is. Am I his keeper? And verse 10 says, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. So here Cain is, is more upset. He feels worse for the punishment that's come his way. Not what he's actually done. He's murdered his brother. He's taken a life. He's spilled blood. And yet what's recorded here, he is more upset about the punishment that is coming than the terrible thing that he has just done. And he continues and he says, Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anybody kills Cain, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So from this we see that despite the terrible, horrible thing that Cain has done, there is still love and mercy and grace for God's human creation here there is still the need for Cain to be alive to, to populate the world and we see that the incredible mercy of God that Cain even though he expects to die you know he says whoever finds me will kill me the incredible mercy of God is that Cain is is essentially banished and, and, uh, and, and sent away. But a mark is put on him, lest anybody should find him and attack him, as we read. And as we continue, we get to verse 17, and we see that Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now, lots of people point to this and say, you know, who, who is Cain's wife here? And... The simplest way to answer this is that it's probably another one of Adam and Eve's children. We read in chapter 5, verse 4, The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So people will point to this and say that, you know, the Bible uh, condones having children with your family because, look, you know, Cain had uh, children with his, his sister, the best explanation that I've ever read around this is that at the time, this was an absolute necessity. And that the, the, the gene pool 
of humanity at the time was so pure that this wouldn't have produced some of the physical difficulties that would happen now if people so close genetically had children together. And when you fold in the fact that this happens before God out and out says, no, this is wrong now. We've reached a point where brothers and sisters, that there are enough people that this is not all right. This was, at the time was an absolute necessity. So Cain knew his wife, she conceived and bought Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehajael, and Mehajael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jebel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So the, from verse 17 to 22 here, we see a rapid progression of civilization and humanity as such. You know, we see things like cities being built. We see culture and music and, and housing. So in not a long period of time, we see a rapid progression. Sadly, what we see here, though, is very man-centered, not God-centered. You know, verse 17 again, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bought Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So rather than realizing that, you know, he's only alive and able to have children by the grace of God, Cain has a son, builds a city, not an inherently bad thing, but then names the city after his son. There's no thought for God. And what's really interesting at the end of chapter 4 is Lamech and his two wives. And again, people will look to this and say, look, you know, Lamech was a bigamist. He had multiple wives. So the Bible says it's all right. But the progressive revelation, the way that God's word to us opens and expands and builds on itself throughout the full counsel of God's word, that really shows us and it explicitly tells us that we should be faithful to one person, that God's design for marriage is one man and one woman. And Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 19 and, and referenced God's model for marriage. And he quotes this. Jesus says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Lamech has two wives, which is setting himself up for difficulties. And he's proud, he's arrogant, he's boastful. And he's speaking to his wives and he says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So he has killed a man and he gets his wives together and he's boasting about this terrible thing that he's done. The names of his wives can be 
translated to mean uh, pleasure and ornament uh, and outer beauty and loveliness. And we're building this picture of a man that is very man-centered, not God-centered. He's very worldly. He's not very godly. And he's proud and he's arrogant and he's actually boasting about the fact that he has killed a man. But this is the first and the last time we hear of him in the Bible. His boasting came to absolutely nothing. And as we continue and wrap up this chapter, we read in verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And what a wonderful, high, positive note to finish chapter 4 on the first revival in the Bible. A spiritual resurgence after a decline. We've had the fall. We've had murder. We've got proud, arrogant boasting about murder. And just one more generation's time. Seth has a son, Enosh. And we see the first revival in the Bible. Spiritual resurgence after the decline. So Adam and Eve were known to have lots of children, more children. We said that from chapter 5, verse 4. But it is the line of Seth that carries the promise of chapter 3, verse 15. And in Luke chapter 3, we see the genealogy of Jesus. And in Luke 3, 38, we read the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Jesus' lineage on earth can be traced back through Seth and Enosh and Adam and finishes with the son of God. And what a great place that is for us to end today too. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, proud, boastful, arrogant murderers. But it finishes with that revival. It finishes with people calling upon the name of the Lord. And as we said with Luke 3.38, Enosh, Seth, Adam, the son of God. And what a great place for us to stop today. Next time then we'll look at Genesis chapter 5. But until then, God bless.